as I was preparing, uh, Kirk didn't give me a topic, which is very kind of him, because uh, I could have turned up and said anything. Um, but uh, today, this message is, is entitled, uh, is titled, sorry, Kingdom People Live by Faith. Um, now, there are three verses in the New Testament um, that speak to this topic, and if you if you take notes, if you're a note person, uh, I'm not mad at you, I just don't do that, uh, I don't write notes. Um, the the kingdom people live by faith, uh, Romans 1.17, if you want to write it down, uh, Galatians 3.11 and Hebrews 10.38. So they're the, they're the three New Testament um, scriptures, but each of these are actually referencing an Old Testament scripture. Um, and so to begin, um, we're going to jump uh, into a New Testament story, because storytelling helps us to imprint uh, scripture into our memory. So we're going to do that. I like stories. Um, and then we're going to have a look at the Old Testament case study where this scripture comes from. And we're going to look and see that God's call for his kingdom people, which is you and I, hasn't actually changed much over time. And that within his call, God is active and he's present and he's empowering us to live a life of faith. And it's by his empowerment that we can do it. And if we're really honest, I think most of us would say we'd need God's empowerment at the moment, whether it's at work or it's at home, whether it's in our own mental things or our emotional things, we really need God to be with us. Um, so to start with, I'm going to read a story uh, from a book called Live Like Jesus. Uh, now, some of you may have read it. Um, it's by a friend of ours called Putty Putman. Uh, Putty's a great friend to you guys here, and Kirk introduced us, Putty, to... Uh, to us as a national gathering. Um, and uh, he's reading out of John 20. So if you're looking for something to anchor in, John 20 verses 19 is where this story is going to be. Um, then we're going to have a look at Israel's history. Okay, we're going to jump back um, and we're going to look in my favorite, uh, my favorite book, which is Habakkuk, which I imagine all of you were in this week. Um, we're going to have a look at the similarities and we're going to see what God's going to say. So if you enjoy stories, I encourage you to close your eyes, whatever you need to do. Um, I'm going to read a little bit about the disciples. So here it is. It's Sunday evening and the 11 remaining disciples are huddled together and they're terrified. Their best friend and their hero has just gone from being Jerusalem's most popular teacher to being murdered and buried in less than a week. Now the disciples know that those same Jews are out there, and they will stop at nothing to put down this movement that Jesus started. Jesus had been controversial for sure, but he was so good, and the idea that someone would want to take a life of a man who brought healing and help to the poor, to the broken, to the helpless, was just an unthinkable act. But it's happened. And not only had there been a price on Jesus' head, but there was probably a price on the heads of the disciples as well, Peter, James, and John, and the rest. Now, during the Passover, Jerusalem was packed. It would not be safe to travel. It would not be safe to take a run for it to head back to Galilee because the Pharisees for sure would be looking for them. So what's the option? Maybe we'll just hide, they thought. We'll hunker down until all the festivities pass. Maybe the town will quieten off, and then after all the attention dies down, maybe we can go. 
And this is exactly what they did. They pulled the window shades shut, they barred the doors, and they did everything possible to stay out of sight. So here we have 11 of the most confused, terrified men that you can imagine. Just days before this, their wildest dreams were coming true. Now all that they had had in their mind and in their heart for the future was dashed upon the rocks of despair and terror. So we've just read that the disciples have locked themselves in a room for fear. Fear that they're going to be killed too, that they're next. They're going to crucify and be crucified and suffer just as Jesus did. Now to be safe for us to assume that Jesus, everything that Jesus had said to his disciples and all that Jesus had taught them and all of his encouragement was now lost in their reality. Now what I mean by this is I'm not suggesting that they had forgotten how Jesus lived or how he spoke or taught or laughed, but I am suggesting that deep in the middle of their hurt and their fear, the loss of Jesus now starts to reframe all of these events. Now John tells us that they were alone and they were afraid and they were lacking any signs of hope. So they'd gone from thriving into survival mode. They were just trying to work out how do we take the next breath. And all the faith that they'd had for God's kingdom that was coming on Thursday, well, it was now gone and fear was driving their agenda. So I wonder what the discussions was like, even if it wasn't verbally. I wonder if they were saying to themselves, well, where's this kingdom that Jesus said was going to come? How could this kingdom come if Jesus is dead? So if the disciples were honest, their faith is actually now residing with a dead man's promise, right? And his ideals. So I like to ask questions in the middle of this, and these are, you can put your hand up if you want to or whatnot, but you don't need to. But how about you? Have you found yourself in a place where Maybe it was last year or others where you found God's call on your life been taken away, that one day you had hope and the next day it's gone. Maybe your dreams seemed impossible now. And maybe some of you have had prophetic words spoken over your life and they've been stripped away by life circumstances. Have you found yourself wondering, well, maybe my faith now resides in a dead man's promise? That's where I find myself at the moment, if I'm honest. That's where I am. I'm working through trying to work out what last year looked like and how this year's going to look like and how I'm supposed to raise boys and be a husband and be a pastor uh, and be completely broken in front of everybody at the same time. So if that's what you're struggling with, you're in good company because the disciples have been there before. So I'd like to turn our attention now to an Old Testament story um, that is set in the southern kingdom of Judah with the prophet Habakkuk. Now, the situation, I'll give you a little bit of history so we can jump right into it. The situation that Habakkuk and the southern kingdom, uh, which is where Jerusalem is, uh, what they're facing is an imminent invasion okay, from the Chaldeans. Some of your translations will say the Babylonians. All right? Um, History records uh, that the invasion 
took place at the end of the 6th century BC. Okay, so we're reading the story just before in the lead up to it. Um, and then the city of Jerusalem fell to King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. So if we go to the minor prophets before Habakkuk, we see that um, Joel, Zephaniah, Amos, Habakkuk doesn't even mention the possibility of the southern kingdom being saved. Right? The other ones do, though. And so while the other minor prophets call for uh, the kingdom to... Um, come into repentance and turn away from other things, Habakkuk doesn't. So by the time he's on the scene, he has basically told them, you guys are toast, right? Bad news for you all around. So you've not listened and it's bad. So he actually predicts this coming destruction of Judah. Uh, and then he actually goes on to predict the doom of those who are going to take it over. Okay, so this guy, if you were reading his email, you'd be thinking, Man, this guy, you know, he's, he's trouble. So if we turn to the start of Habakkuk, which you don't need to, but um, we see that the prophet and Yahweh are having a dialogue and they're talking about evil and they're talking about wickedness that's running across the nations, right? Now, Habakkuk names this evil as the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, okay? Um, a quick history lesson on Babylon Babylon was the cultural and political center of Mesopotamia, um, Mesopotamia for some. Um, they were located in modern-day Iraq, okay? So if you think Iraq's got problems recent, then Iraq's had problems for a long time, right? So now they were located along the Euphrates River. Now when we open scripture, we will see that the Babylonians will be referenced over 300 times, Okay? Now, not all of these are referring to the city, like Brisbane, or Brisbaneites, or the people who live in Brisbane. Um, in some cases, we actually see the term used by the writers as an adjective, describing what's going on. So when we see a writer use the term Babylon in their particular context, it might be looking to highlight that uh, imperial power was being used at this time, or maybe the idolatry was present, or maybe oppression, or maybe that prostitution was worshipped uh, among these people. So if you look at Revelation, um, we can see that um, the, the writer of Revelation is actually encompassing all of those things, talking about the town, talking about the people, and talking about all the terrible stuff that's going on in that space. So when you're reading scripture, if you have a look think in the back of your mind, oh, Dan said once upon a time that when I come across Babylon, I should really just ask the question, are we talking about the people, are we talking about the place, or are we talking about what is worshipped uh, and what is going on in that place? So, in Habakkuk's place, uh, sorry, in Habakkuk's writing, what he's doing is actually referring to the whole lot, okay? So, he's talking about the people, he's talking about the place, and he's talking about all of the idolatry and evil that was going on. Now, it seems that this same evil and wickedness was also rampant in the southern kingdom of Judah, right? And that's why, God's, um, that's why God's dislike is being expressed through the minor prophets before Habakkuk. Habakkuk tells us that justice is absent from the courts and that the king and all of the previous kings 
um, were making decisions that were sinful and idolatrous. So Habakkuk's main point here is that you guys are worshipping demonic gods. That's basically his point. You've turned your back on Yahweh and you're serving demonic gods. Now, if we remember that God had called the nation of Israel to live as kingdom people, okay, so up until God called Abraham and his family to leave his home, um, there was no nation of Israel. Israel was birthed as a nation by God, and he actually birthed them with an identity, set them apart from what was happening around. Now, they were supposed to live as God's representatives in the land, right? God's kingdom people, his representatives. And they would display how God ruled and how he reigned on the earth. So when we look in Scripture, the way that a nation lived and the way that they worshipped actually revealed who their spiritual king was. And this is really important for us to even see today. What nations are serving which king by the decisions that they make? and the things that they worshipped. Now, it's also true that the way the nation's king as an individual ruled revealed the way that their God ruled and lived. So there are two aspects that are going on, which is really important to keep in our minds. Israel was supposed to be set apart, God's holy nation, and they were supposed to show justice and peace, and they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations around them. Um, their people should thrive and their land should flourish while others are coming to destruction, right? And that's because they were God's kingdom people. But in Habakkuk's time, this was not the case. And we see that Israel is in a bit of trouble. So if we go back to the conversation that God's having with Habakkuk, we will see that God says something really amazing. In the midst of the prophecy of destruction and death that's on its, on its way, God says something amazing. He says, excuse me, even though all of your sins will be judged and destruction is coming because of these sins, the righteous person will live by faith in his righteousness. Right? God is making a promise in the midst of this prophetic book that the southern kingdom, those who live in the southern kingdom and the southern kingdom itself, if they are righteous and they repent, they won't perish. They'll actually live. They will come alive in the season ahead. But they will live not by their own effort, but they'll live by his faithfulness, right? So God's pointing to his own faithfulness and saying, if you repent and you follow me, then you will live because I am faithful to you. So, because we're talking about stories, I want you to just think about it for a moment. If I was to say to you that you're about to be shipped off to the cultural and political centre of evil on the earth. Now, some people might say that's Logan. It might actually be Victoria if you, if you look on your uh, social media recently. If you were being shipped off... And God made a promise to you that you would not perish, that you would live by his faithfulness, knowing that your sins will be judged, but he will be there with you. What do you think that would do to your heart? Right? Now, 
I want to invite you to think back to the disciples. Now, they're in a dark room. They're full of fear for their future. They have no ideas what's about to happen. They know what could happen. Now, the same thing could be said for them, right? That if they're found and their room is invaded by soldiers, they'll be sentenced and they'll be shipped off. They just lost their friend who claimed to be God. He's now dead, so he can't help them. And if God's dead, how could he be there? Now remember, the disciples knew the Old Testament as their scriptures. So they knew the story of Israel. They knew the story of Habakkuk and what happens in this season. Right? So this will be in the back of their mind as they're facing these things. I want to keep reading from Putty's book, so let's, let's go back to the story. So as they, the disciples, they huddled in the darkness, one glances to the side and sees a shape that was not there a moment earlier. And this shape moved and panic erupts in the group. Fear grips each of them. Some of them are caught frozen and others jump and they scream with fright. Immediately a voice tries to calm them down, but only after amplifying the chaos, eventually the words settle in, it's okay, be at peace, he says. Calm down. Here, look. The voice continues. The unknown person stretches out his arms to reveal deep scarring on his hands. And then he brushes aside the garment to reveal a similar recovered wound on his side. Man, how could this be? How is this possible? They recalled the rumours, but could it be possible? Didn't John say that he'd watched him die? But this, no, this for sure had to be Jesus. And it was Jesus. And he's back. And the joy and glory of that moment could only be understood by the 11 who shared it. The helplessness that had become the disciples' reality melted away and was replaced by laughter and rejoicing. They whooped, they shouted, they cried out, this is amazing, Jesus. Not only have you defeated sickness but you actually beat death, and you beat your own death. This changes everything. Could you imagine, just for this moment, that everything that Jesus had said would come true had come true? And yet, a minute earlier, in the disciples' mind, everything Jesus said hadn't come true. In that one moment, everything has shifted. Jesus is there, and he had actually beaten death, and he shows them the wounds to prove it. He just says, hey, guys, look at this. You've heard the rumors, now have a look. Have a look for yourselves. Now, here's my question. If Jesus beat death, what else can he beat? What else can he beat? What are you facing today and tomorrow and in the future that's greater than death? When we look at the resurrection of Jesus, we see something really amazing. We see that God the Father was faithful to Jesus while he went to the cross to raise him from the dead. God the Father was faithful to Jesus in raising him from the dead. When we read the Gospels, we also see that Jesus was faithful to the Father by fully representing him here on the earth. He fully represented his kingdom, his power, and his rule. 
And if you continue reading through to the end of the Gospels, you see that there's another amazing aspect that comes to light. The Holy Spirit comes faithfully at Jesus' request. And what he does to us as Christians is he imparts Jesus' righteousness to us. If you're looking for an amazing attribute of the kingdom of God or God's kingdom people, you should be able to see faithfulness. Faithfulness from the Father, faithfulness in the Son, and faithfulness in the Spirit. They are all faithful to one another, and they are all faithful to us. So as kingdom people, we are empowered to live by faith, not by our own effort but by who and what the Trinity has done in Scripture's past, what they continue to do for us today. And if you read the book of Revelation, as controversial as it is, the end of the story says Jesus is faithful to return. Okay, that's the end of the story. He is faithful to return. He is faithful to complete what he said he's going to do. So as kingdom people, you and I are called by God's faithful character because it's our new inheritance. So the Holy Spirit imparts to us is God's faithfulness. So when the writer of um, Hebrews and when the Apostle Paul write in Romans and Galatians, um, in those scriptures I mentioned earlier, What Paul and the writer of Hebrews are saying is, remember back to God's faithfulness in the Old Testament. Remember what he did then. Now, I'm going to invite you at another time to read through Habakkuk yourself and see for yourself, see what the Holy Spirit says there. But my encouragement today is that just as Paul and the writer of Hebrews were encouraging their congregation, Right? Now, it's easy for us sometimes to remember, or sorry, to forget that Paul lived and had a church just like us, gathered, looked a little bit different, right? But real people, real time, real dirt, real clothes, real food, okay? And he's writing to his people, and this is what he says, our faith should be in nothing else but the proven work of what God's done in history. Our faith is in what God has already done. And our role as kingdom people is to reach into that and to bring it into the now. At the end of Habakkuk, we see this lovely hymn. It's actually, it's quite nice. And up until this week, I didn't even know it was in there. So um, this is how it starts out. It says, Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your wondrous deeds. This is a looking back and this is a declaring of what was into what is coming. Now I wonder, do you think this is what came to mind in that moment for the disciples when Jesus was revealed? Do you reckon they stood in awe of his wondrous deeds? Right? They had just experienced the faithfulness of Jesus in never leaving them and nor forsaking them. Um, in Habakkuk 3.19, it says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. Now, anytime you see Lord written in capitals, 
in the Old Testament, it means Yahweh, or I am, or I am who I am, or I am the am, I am, right? There's a lot of I am's about it. And Jesus referred to himself as the I am seven times throughout the scriptures, and we find that mainly in John's gospel. Now, in Jesus referring to himself as the I am, we see that he is saying that he is the source of everything. I've existed before time. I existed before everything. And we can see if you read the start of John's gospel, it writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Jesus is referencing that he's been there since the start, and he makes a promise to us that he'll be there at the end. Now Jesus, um, sorry, the disciples now probably have learnt right in that moment what it meant when Jesus said, I was the I am seven times. Okay? That revelation came into fullness for them. He is the source of all strength, and he is the source of all hope. Now, John is reminding us that God's been faithful once before. In the Old Testament, many, many times, but just in this, he's pointing back to there was one time in history where God came through. Okay? And John's recalling it so that you and I would remember it. God showed his faithfulness to the southern kingdom of Judah. So, I've completely cooked the timer. So I'm really sorry about that. Here's what I want to end with. If God can see Israel delivered from the cultural the city of cultural and political evil on the earth. I need to just point out that the particular people, the Babylonians, sacrificed their children to their gods. Okay? We're not talking small-time evil. We're not stealing cars and breaking into homes. We, we're talking about the peak of evil on the earth. God comes through and he delivers them. And if God can see Jesus through death and raise him from the dead, and if he can seat him at the highest place of authority, and if God still remains faithful to Israel and the disciples for all of their sin and their destruction, and if Jesus can stay faithful to me for all of my sin and destruction, then we have a hope today. We have something we can lean on. There's something that we can actually touch and feel and experience. So to wrap it up, if we go and I read the last part of Putty's book, this is the practical component of today's message. This is what Putty says. Then he, meaning Jesus, the I am, he breathes on them. He breathes on them just as his father had breathed into Adam so many years ago. The disciples inhaled a deep breath as the very Spirit of God made his home in them. It's the same Holy Spirit that empowered all the incredible things that they had seen up until this point. And that Spirit is now alive and empowering them. 
Jesus then sends the disciples out. And he empowers them and he says, now go and represent me everywhere you go. Okay. If you and I go and represent Jesus without being breathed upon, without the Spirit of God refreshing us and bringing us to life, then we're just going to get tired and exhausted and we're going to look a lot less like Jesus. So as Jesus' breath enters the dark room and into their situation, the disciples become refreshed and strengthened and now they leave and it's somewhat, they're not too scared anymore. The future doesn't seem to worry them too much. So my question to you is, did their situation change? No. The disciples were still wanted. They were still had a price on their head. If you think back to Habakkuk's situation, did the nation of Israel's situation change? No, they got invaded. Right? They got destroyed. They got taken away. But history tells us that on both of just these two occasions, it was God's promised presence. It was God's faithfulness, his faithfulness to his people that empowered them to live as his representatives. If you know Jesus, you've been welcomed into his kingdom and you are now kingdom people. That's who you are. Your identity has changed. Okay, you no longer belong to the dirt anymore. The call of Jesus for his people is to have faith in who he is and what he's done. It's never changed. It's been there right from the start for Adam and Eve. Right? Don't eat of the fruit. Trust me, was what God was saying. I'll provide. Okay. For you and me, our faith needs to be in what Jesus has done. And in the midst of all the stuff that is going on, um, you might have lost everything and you might be really struggling. And if you're listening to this online at a later date, uh, somewhere in a different place in a different time and a season, the truth will still be that Jesus is faithful to you. Tomorrow he'll be faithful and the next day. But he's not just faithful so we survive. The disciples didn't just survive. They went out and they did some serious damage. Um, and we see that throughout history. So who needs some renewal today, apart from me? <laughs> right? Can you identify with what's going on? So a thought that came to me this morning while I was driving here was simply this. Religion offers you a faith in a dead prophet or teacher. But Jesus invites you into a faith with a faithful living God. So would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and breathe on us. Father, we thank you for 
your faithfulness. We thank you for your words. And we just pray, Lord, that as kingdom people, would you come and move amongst us now.